Welcome to the Liberty Experts Podcast, where all your liberty questions are answered, discussed, and debated by experts. Now, here are your liberty experts, Tim Moen and David Birnbaum. Hello, Timothy. Hello there. How are you this fine morning? I'm doing all right. You know, I'm looking at the day here. It's partly cloudy. I think it's going to get up over 20 degrees Celsius. Uh, you know, my second day off, I'm on, uh, yeah, I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to do here with all this uh, freedom I have not to have to go to work. Right. And uh, yeah, that's where I'm at. Very nice. I'm frustrated because the Airbnb I'm currently in had, quote, AC, but it's just one of these like on floor units for an entire apartment. So it definitely doesn't cool it properly. So I, I, I view it as almost false advertising. This, you, this, this apartment oh, doesn't have AC and that is my first world problem at the moment. Um, I hear you, man. Is, it is uh, quite hot. <laughs> yeah. Our house doesn't have AC either, but it's oh, what? It tends to, yeah, yeah, I know it's, uh, it's a first world problem. It's a yeah. first world problem. It stays cool enough though. You know, we've got a basement. We can keep the, yeah, keep the blinds down. It's not too bad. It's tolerable so far. Yeah, I think it's also about kind of acclimatization, what you're used to. Because like, for example, I know some Italians who like are fine with the house being like 28, 30 degrees Celsius inside. And it's just right. like they're used to that because they were yeah. in southern Italy and they didn't have AC. It was just whatever. Um, so, But like I very much grew up with a cold environment. So like I'm used to the cold. Um, yeah. Anyway, so today we wanted to talk. I, I, I'm calling the topic persuasion. Um, but it's not necessarily that explicitly. It's kind of like micro persuasion or something, because it's not about, you know, what are the principles to know in terms of how to present a persuasive article or speech. It's about how to recognize when you're talking to someone, whether or not they're open to persuasion in that moment, right? Mm -hmm. How to tell that, because I mean, I think there's uh, important uh, applications in terms of like therapy, let's say, right? If someone's not open, if their mind's not open and active, let's say, then you're you're not going to change their mind, right? Because they have a narrative that's on a loop or whatever it is. And I recently had an argument with someone where I should have known it wasn't going to go anywhere, right? But it was difficult because I still, you know, I, I theoretically care about this person. I'm debating how much I actually do. Um, but so right. it's like I want to help them because I know how important my knowledge is for my own life, for like the lives of my loved ones and stuff. And so it's like I want to persuade this person. I know why it's important for them to understand these things. But in that moment, it seems like they're not willing to uh, for whatever right. reasons or not able to even. And like, you know, I brought it up because, you know, I think you have a similar experience sometimes with let's, you know, you have people in the Libertarian Party who are conspiracy theorists or fascists or whatever it is. And it's like, you can try. And talk uh, to I just want to correct you. There's no fascists in the Libertarian Party. Uh, okay. Anyone who's been uh, persuaded by fascist arguments is left long ago. Okay, well, so libertarians drift into fascism. And so as you're having conversations with those people and and trying to maybe get them back into the libertarian party or whatever. Yeah, sorry, there's no fascist libertarians. Um, Yeah, so, you know, I can continue to riff a bit on what I think the theory is or which objectivist principle, you know, comes to mind in terms of the application. But I'm interested to hear your initial thoughts uh, as well. 
Well, yeah, I, I mean, I think a lot of times when we're talking to someone else, uh, you and I have a particular personality type. And, you know, Jonathan Haidt has described a libertarian personality as um, sort of hyper-masculine thinking. And by that, he means yeah. very low on emotion and motive and very high on logic and rationality. And not everybody thinks that way. Other people right. are wired more emotionally to think more empathetically and different things like that. With conservatives, yeah. things like order are more important. And so, you know, if I'm talking to a conservative, I have to keep in mind that they're, they're less interested in liberty and more interested in order versus chaos or barbarism or something like that. If I'm talking to a progressive, um, they're, they're thinking in terms of oppression versus oppressed and they feel... Uh, enormous amount of sympathy or empathy to people that are less, let's say, privileged or, or more marginalized than they are. Um, right. If I'm talking to a libertarian, it's very simple. But usually where we run into problems is when we're talking to other people who are, you know, because when we engage in a conversation with people who are looking at the world through a completely different lens, it's like we might as well be talking different languages. Like they're Right. We're talking Japanese and they're speaking French or something like that. And we think we're having a conversation, but we're not getting anywhere. I'm not right. learning anything from them. They're not learning anything from me. So I think the first step is to, to understand the frame of the person that we're talking to and, and what they care about and what their worldview is and, and then try to connect with that. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. And I think it's interesting because, you know, I'm in the objectivist academic center and the year two is focused on understanding other prevalent philosophies, right? Because the idea is there's only like a dozen or so, I mean, like big philosophies, maybe even less. And like, and so I think in objectivism, it's a method of thinking, right? And someone else can right. think in Platonism. And I need to understand sure. Platonism to understand what their motivation is and actually where they're coming from in their communications, right? And so mm -hmm. it's, it's kind of like, yeah, it's what is their root philosophy? What is their view of the world? And if, and, and, you know, if we don't have the same one, we will be speaking different languages. If we have different moralities or whatever it is, right? But what's interesting is I'm dedicatedly interested into learning the translations, right? I right. just want to know the truth. And so I want to talk to you and understand your language. And it's, there's people who are too fearful of my language, Right. That's yep. the, what it seems is I speak liberty and liberty is scary for the average person, both in terms of the society and their own life. And so they don't want to speak my language and and maybe they don't consciously make that decision. Some people do, but they they like turn off. They, they can't be reached because the defense mechanisms come up. And so like in that conversation, I can almost see that their mind is closed to me talking to them. And right. What so what Ayn Rand says, the principle in objectivism is that that's prevalent here, it, that's relevant here is the arbitrary, right? And so if someone has an arbitrary view, which just means it's not grounded in reason and facts for them, it's an emotional view for them, you cannot actually convince them of anything, right? There's no context to ground it until they understand how they hold the concept themselves, right? And there's this tendency I have of, I really believe my language. I really believe the language of reason. And so I think, and it's like this, this it's still kind of programmed into me. The, if I just talk long enough, I'll like 
connect something for them, right? Um, and, and then I get kind of like lost in their weeds, trying to find which thing to connect for them. But Ayn Rand's argument is that that's not possible. Until they're willing to look for a connection, no matter, like, and so it's like I get stuck in their weeds and then I don't know how to get out. And, and it's like almost like I'm, com- I'm addicted to it. I'm addicted to trying to figure that out. And I have to like, oh shit, this isn't working. This isn't going well. Um, and so it's just really interesting because I find, you know, the key thing is how do you actually help someone start to be open to that sure. connection, which is like a more meta thing than just, it's because like, you know, the average person wants to speak to someone who speaks their language and you and I want to speak to people who can help us understand their language. But how do you get someone to understand the importance of understanding other people's languages? Right. <laughs> like, and, and that's sure. again, uh, you know, we talked in another episode about like abstracting now to epistemology and having people understand the importance of like, we're getting like more philosophical in the issues uh, in society. And it's like, this is a microcosm of it or something. Yeah. Yeah, no, those, those are all great points. And I think one thing to point out is that, um, you know, Ayn Rand was a brilliant epistemologist, brilliant at uh, hyper-masculine logical thinking, right? Um, and, and so she built up a movement of people who, like us who are wired the same way she is. Yeah. And we're immediately convinced by those arguments because they're super rational. We're logical may, people yeah. searching for truth. We're very self-reflective, all these things. Yeah. Uh, but we have to under, you know, so I, I think it's what she might not be totally correct on is about the epistemology thing. I don't think people even are thinking about their epistemology. I think she's right that there's an unconscious epistemology, but trying to walk people through it from this hyper-rational perspective is, is going to fall flat. And, and she, she's right that it's, it's, it's a waste of time to even try, but I do think there are persuasion techniques that we can use to break through that, that, wall and connect people right are they ever going to be hyper rational thinkers like us no and you know that we have to you know there's going to be a certain number of people that are going to follow along even though they don't totally understand it or maybe aren't even capable of thinking the way we are where their philosophy is is grounded the way ours is right so yeah um uh, peter bogosian is a, a philosopher I think in, in Washington who wrote a book called a manual for creating atheists. And he does right. this thing called street epistemology uh, where he goes out and he talks to people about their beliefs and, and his, his approach is I think a smart one, which is he doesn't argue facts with people or logic with people. He gets people to examine their own beliefs and he does it by asking them the question, uh, okay, this sacred belief you have, how sure are you of it on a scale of one to 10? Uh, oh, a nine. Okay. Why isn't it a 10? And what would it, what, what could I tell you or what, what information could be presented to you where that would come down to an eight? Um, and so that gets people thinking about their own belief and they're essentially attacking their own belief now. Like, okay, yeah, what argument could be presented to me that would make me change my mind about this? Do you not get the impression, because this is the impression I get, that there's many people, and in particular many young people, who even that question is like they'd be offended by. Like, it's almost as if they have to tell themselves it's a 10. They have to feign certainty. And so even the idea of 
Like, so if I ask someone, how certain are you that Black Lives Matter is a good movement? They'd be offended by the very question, right? Sure. So I get that that's the right approach. But again, I think some people, like when I was talking to this individual uh, this past week, they, they, I, I'm fairly confident they would not have been open to that reflection in that moment, right? Um, right. And so I think, right. I, I think that's right, but I think that's right for people who are trying to be cognitive, right? And right. they're willing to question it, but if sure, someone's really but, but, being emotional. Right. But if they're in a conversation with you, even if they're emotional, you know, there are things you can do to reach through to them. You know, there's, there's an old saying that I always refer to, which is people don't care what you have to say until they know that you care. Right. So if right. they, if they, if they understand that you are caring about the same thing they care about, let's, let's say it's black lives and that this yeah. is very important to them. Right. Um, I my protest already. You, you, you can Continue. go through exactly how, you know, and, and just empathize with that and, and be like, yeah, I mean, look at, look at this history of oppression. Look at what we're, we're at now in the world with these ghettos and crime rates and, and police brutality and different things. This is all terrible. I, I think you'd agree with that. Right. And, and then you, you get, you just empathize with all these things. And then uh, you, you say what, you know, okay. Um, BLM is, is, supposedly out there helping them what what if they're hurting them i mean have you ever thought of that like what how would we know if that movement or if that group that organization was hurting the thing that you care most about or helping them what what would you measure that by i totally agree with this but i'm gonna play devil's advocate sure because i think there's two additional things that are let's call it more recently potent phenomena that prevent even that from working well because you know one many people as soon as they know i'm an objectivist or a libertarian or a conservative they don't think i care like they they sure. put that lens on immediately and so they have to be again being willing to have their mind changed about the fact that i care because i know i care all of my loved ones know i care but these other people they don't know i care and they just label me as I'm a, a, you know, a randroid who just is out for selfish game, blah, 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 blah. And then second is this narrative that I can't even have valid opinions about things that aren't directly applicable to me. So not right. only am I a randroid, uncaring jerk, and they think that, and I have to somehow prove to them I care, um, somehow prove to them that I care through argumentation and logic, unless they somehow see me emoting and see me actually caring. Um, and then two, if I'm talking about any issue that's not about straight white men, somehow I'm also not even supposed to be talking about it. So it's like two additional layers of defense they have of actually hearing my message. And I've, tr and, and I've, and so just difficult, right? So it's yeah. like, how, there's more layers to break through. I think. Well, okay, but you, you started with an example of someone that you were having a conversation with. So I'm assuming there's, they care enough about you that they're willing to have a one-on-one -on -one conversation. I mean, that, that's a, a, a somewhat of an open door. I mean, it might be just cracked just a smidge, uh, but there, there's an opportunity there. But you're right. There are other cases where maybe it's online, on social media, where someone's just arguing with you, where you're, you're obviously not going to persuade them. They're not showing any signs that they're having any 
openness to be persuaded. Right. And, and in that case, you're, the people you're trying to persuade isn't that person, but the audience watching this debate back and forth. Right. Right. And so there are things you can do in debate that are more persuasive to the audience. And again, that has to do with, um, are you, are you like, are you, uh, coming off as selfish? Are you like, what does the audience care about? And if, if you're showing them signs that you care about the same things they care about, and you're making good logical arguments as to why the things that they care about are served by the Liberty arguments you're making, then that softens it. Whereas if the other yeah. person is simply throwing out, um, you know, jingoism and, and slurs and ad hominems and oh, I mean, people can see very clearly through that. They're not being very persuasive. And I, I suppose I get particularly frustrated with myself because I don't care enough about the actual political arguments. And like they're talking about politics and I'm trying to see and ground it in first principles because that's what I find interesting. I find how I got to my conclusion of liberty interesting, not actually right. how it applies because that's political philosophy is another realm that I'm just less interested in, but then that's the realm they're playing in. And so I'm, I like push myself to the limits, both of my interest and my knowledge. And I, I kind of then get like lost in the weeds and stuff. So it's, it's difficult for me in particular to navigate those conversations, I think because of uh, where they are in them. Right. But and I, I think, it, it, and I think it's important. One of the things that, you know, because I used to experience the same thing. I still do to some degree, but I, I have to ask myself, okay, what, what is the, my goal here in having an exchange with this person? Is it to change their mind? Is it to change the audience's mind? Is it to plant a, a seed? Is it what, you know, what, what is my ultimate goal? Is it just to win a battle of egos and, uh, you know, have a dick measuring contest? Well, I mean, yeah. I, I want to be very clear about that because quite often in the past, it was more about a dick measuring contest. Like someone said something, it pissed me off. I had said yeah, something back. Insane. I tried to hammer them over the head with reason and logic and destroy them. Yeah. And, you know, it was never satisfying. Right. And I realized, well, why am I doing this? What, what, what is, what is my my purpose here. And I realized my purpose was just to feed my own ego or, or maybe to defend myself or because I'm being defensive. But at any rate, it wasn't persuading anyone. It yeah. wasn't communicating anything useful. It was just, you know, intellectual masturbation or something like that. Yeah. And I think, you know, in the instance that was quite frustrating for me, it was just like a car. It just happened to come up in a casual conversation and then got like very ingrained in like arguing angrily about politics. I wasn't angry, but right. he was. And so it was like, I didn't have a goal going in. There was no preface. It just like happened, right? And it was like, right. oh, and I didn't even realize we were getting into a heated political debate until we were already there, right? And so it like right. snuck up on me. It's not, and so I think it's interesting to kind of, as soon as you notice the tone is shifting and that kind of thing to pay attention and understand, okay, no, now we're in a specific kind of conversation. We're not in, we're no longer in a conversation of just two people trying to understand and get to know one another because now we're debating in his mind. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and so noticing that switch and then thinking, okay, what is the context? How do I approach this conversation constructively? Because again, his, his context is different than mine. His way of thinking is different than mine. And if I just go through mine, it, like, it got extremely frustrating for him as well because I didn't hear him. I didn't understand his arguments or whatever right. in his view, even though I did. But um, so it's like when it sneaks up on you almost, um, it's, it's doing the meta 
awareness of what is the goal now, right? What is the purpose of this conversation now that it's this type of conversation? Yeah. And I mean, I think it's, it's, um, it might be even be good to take a pause and say, ask that question of the person you're talking to. Okay. What, what, what is, what are we trying to achieve here in this conversation? My, my buddy, Uh, you know, like, are, are we trying to persuade each other? Are you trying to see if I'm someone you can trust or like, what, where are we going with this and how would we arrive at a, you know, so it's about having a meta conversation about the conversation, right. Right. Uh, itself and, and talking about that. Um, and that, that can be helpful because you're starting from the same thing, you know, from the same place. It's like, you know, for me, like talking about environmental issues with someone, we can go back and forth all the time about different facts, but I have to make sure we're talking from the same place. So I have to say, okay, what are you trying to get out of this conversation? Can I understand what your highest value is? Is it to minimize human impact or is it to maximize human flourishing? Because I'm, I'm in this conversation to talk about maximizing human flourishing. Oh, interesting. You're interested in minimizing human impact on the world. Well, what do you think about human flourishing? Then, then it, the conversation becomes about those very base values and trying to drill down having any kind of conversation on top of that without talking about those those base values we might as well be speaking different languages so we have to make sure we're speaking the same language and that and you know it might be right down to why are we even having this conversation like what what are you in this conversation for yeah no i think that makes a lot of sense and i'm glad you brought up the topic of values because that is the key thing right like that is the thing that cuts through the noise, let's say, if you can actually get them to understand, if, if, if both people can understand which values are being talked about, that's the key of cutting through the emotions and stuff. Like that's the link between the emotions and the rational brain, right? Is, is the values at stake, right? And so it's like, how do you kind of incept them to that? How do you get to the meta level, both for yourself and how do you help them get to the meta level? And it's interesting. Yeah. I want to do another episode on that very premise and around um, the, the like hyper-masculine thinking and stuff. But um, yeah, I think the key thing is values, right? That, and that's what I'm really trying to, uh, you know, what I think we're trying to get at as well is how do we clearly talk about how do we hold liberty, the value? It's liberty is our, let's call it, ultimate value. And we need to hold that context clearly and talk about everything and anything and help every person understand how liberty is connected to the topic we're talking about. Right. Right. And it's like that process that needs to take place. And, and it's like training and also it's good to know. And that's kind of, I think I mentioned Ayn Rand earlier and how she could connect these things to who she was and her values. And it's, so it's about learning what are the kind of core yeah. values and how do we connect it for ourselves? Um, yeah. Cause once you get to the core value, I mean, this person you were talking to, they, they might say something like their, their values here are, you know, wanting to see marginalized people have a safety net or not, not, you know, or, or whatever they, they care about, um, black lives or something like that. And then, then it's like, Oh, cool. I care about those too. How do you square your, your caring about that, those things with your advocation for statism because statism has historically and just logically makes those things worse. Right. And, and, and how do you square that circle? Help me, help me see that. 
Right. And, but then it's about like, well, what is their actual context of statism and these sorts of things? And if, sure. if they're really in a different philosophical lens, but unwilling yep. to have a philosophical conversation, then it's very difficult. Right. And that's when like, you know, for me, yeah. I'll just say, look, I'm not the person you think I am. I, I, I had once a conversation with a friend and I said, look, I think you're fantastic. Cause she was really mad at me about uh, our different views. And I said, look, we have the same goals. I think you're fantastic. And I value you so much because we have the same values. We just have a very different approach as to how we think we can accomplish those goals. Yet you think mine are evil. You think I'm evil because I disagree with the means, even though we have the same end that we think is good. And that just kind of the, like it took, she was open to that conversation um, right. and we don't agree still, but right. we can have that mutual understanding yeah. of, well, no, we are both good and aiming at a pretty similar view of what is good. Um, right. But, you know, especially with the tribalism, the political division now and stuff, it's very difficult right now to yeah. make that connection. And that's why I'm really trying to figure out how to. But, but I mean, what you used there was, it was right? a great tool, right? I mean, it, it, it's basically bringing her back to, yeah, I care about the same things you care about. Mm -hmm. And what I'm trying to square is how the means you're talking about, which seem to make those things work, how you can support those means. I, I don't see how that's going to help the, this thing we care about. I think it's only going to make things worth well, see, work. I, walk me through this. Right. Right. So I think again, I'm, I'm, for myself, I'm even less focused on that because I don't think my expertise is explaining why they're wrong, right? I'm right. not good at explaining that. I'm not interested in the politics of it. And, and, and what I'm interested in is trying to help them understand that I do share their values. I see their values. I see why they care about what they care about. I agree. And yet I have a different conclusion. And if I can just get them to have that, then they're open to me generally yeah. and my conduct. Yes. And, and so I don't want to actually have the conversation to the point of actually convincing them or trying to tell them like details. I just want, like, if we can get everyone on the left to agree that we have similar values and goals to them to the degree we do, that would be an accomplishment. We don't have to get into why they're wrong in how in right. their means. We just have to say we no, have the same but, values. But, but the thing is, we're you know, I'm trying to convince people of liberty, or at least plant some doubting doubt in their mind that violent coercion is the best answer. So, and, and right, to me, right. I will use Peter Bogosian's tool here of getting them to think about their own beliefs. Like, explain to me how violent coercion uh, is helpful here what are you, what is your logic behind this I, from my I, perspective it seems like that has the exact opposite right right you know, i i 100 agree with that but i again think people are too emotional for that conversation at the moment writ large because they don't view it that way and to claim that it's that is like an affront to their identity so you have to first before they're open to that conversation you have to get an abstract level higher of just making it clear to them regardless of means you have similar ends right. and then they're open to the fact that maybe this guy isn't a scumbag and maybe his his means have some validity right he's he doesn't seem like an idiot yet his views seem really wrong and so it's not a, i i totally get it and what you're saying about that and i'm saying i think we have to 
at least what I'm focused on is I is even a level higher. I'm just focused on people believing I'm a good person, no matter what their mm. political views, no matter how much they think differently about objectivism being scummy or whatever else. If I can just get them to believe that I'm more so an ignorant idiot child than I am a malicious person trying to get across my political agenda. If they think I'm just a a well-intentioned moron, that's progress, right? Hmm. That's, that's, it's not like in such terms, I don't think, or I try not to think of myself as an idiot, but if I can get them to think at least that, that's actually progress in my view. Because the average left-wing yelling at me, uh, left-winger yelling at me, they think I'm evil. They think I'm malicious. And no, sure. it's at, at least I'm just a moron, right? That's progress, I think. And then I know I'm not a moron. And, if, and eventually they'll come to see that. And we can then have conversations about our, each of our thinking. But I think a lot of people right now, because of the tribalism and stuff, uh, they're not even open to that because like the defenses are so up. Yeah, no, that's, that's fair. No, I think that that's a good point. I mean, you got to make it difficult for people to demonize you at least. Right. right? Um, and you know, you don't have, they don't have to necessarily even like you or, uh, but it, it should be difficult for them to demonize you. And I think right. that's one of the, the, superpowers maybe that I have is that I have been pretty good. Uh, it's pretty been likeable. pretty difficult for people to demonize me. They, they seem yeah. to like me. I've had good, good um, experiences with people on the left and the right. You know, I, I remember having a really good conversation one time with a leftist who just, he's like, Tim, I don't understand. You seem like you care about this. You seem like you care about your community. And yet you have this belief system. I said, how, right. how do you, how do you reconcile your, your uh, view of community and your love of community with your libertarianism? I said, well, it, it's real easy, Ken. I mean, right. in order to have a, a cohesive community, a caring community, you have to put the guns down first. Right. And, and like you can't have violent coercion as the nucleus that holds your community together. It has to be based on love and connection. And, 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 he's, and that blew his mind, right? And he's like, huh. He, and he wanted to set up a panel where I was talking with progressives. And so, yeah. And I think, I think that's what, um, right? We talked about people persuade people, right? And so they have to believe you care. And right now they're very much being trained to think you don't, right? right. And so, and, and, and so it's really about that. Yeah, it's really getting across. No, I do care. And, and the really kind of concrete example in my life was with my sister, right? Because I had kind of gone into a hole and come out with these very different political views that were anath- like, is it anathema, the right word? That were anathema to this kind of traditional left-wing Canadian yeah. mentality. And my sister knows me potentially better than anyone or very, very well. And she was like having a freak out on me. And I'm like, the reason you're freaking out is because you can't connect right now. The fact that you know I'm a good person and that everyone is telling you all of my views are evil, right? right. And so how, and like, that doesn't make sense to you. And so you have to decide which do you trust more, that I am good or that they are right about my views being evil. One of those is true. And, and it's like, that is what has to happen. That decision has to be made with everyone you interact with, whether it's a conscious decision or not, that decision right. is made. Are the, is this person well-intentioned or not? 
And there's too many people who think too many other people aren't well-intentioned. And I think that is the, that is what compassion is. Compassion to me in a conversation is, do I think this person is well-intentioned? And I yes. show compassion to as many people as possible, but many people don't, and they can't show compassion to themselves. And, and so, I mean, we're, I'm going on a bit of a tangent here, but I think for me that really concretized it is I had a conversation where that was so clearly the topic of conversation. We were deciding together how we viewed like my relationship relative to society's expectations or whatever it was. Yeah. And, and there's also a point to, you know, like there, there's a lot of people out there right now that are kneeling and putting their head down and like uh, virtue signaling that they are allies and that they care about, right. There's a point where you can take it too far. And, you know, my general rule is I extend compassion and good faith to people. Uh, you know, I extend the olive branch, but if they slap it away and if they treat me in bad faith, I respond in kind, um, you know, because I, I, I don't think, yeah. I don't, th I think there's a point at which, like you, you can't, what they're looking for is, 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 um, dominance, right? That they, they are interested in dominance. And if there's no, right. if they show no sign of wanting to engage in a conversation, um, then you, you don't have to play that game. Well, see, see, I think the corollary of compassion is indifference actually. Right. Right. So I try very hard. So it's not, it's not the Christian notion of turn the other cheek, but it's the, a notion of just walk away, just exactly, be yeah. totally indifferent to them. Don't lash out back. And, and when like as deep as it goes like that, then you lose, right? As soon as you like violently communicate back, you've lost. Right. And right. so it's yep. very much catching yourself and being indifferent. And that mm -hmm. really drives them nuts too, but it's yeah. indifference from a place of compassion. It's like when you're at, when you have a kid, Right? You try and be compassionate and understand, but at some point they're having such a hissy fit that you just have to let it run out. You just have yep. to know this kid's going through his shit right now, and when he's calm, I can go be compassionate again. But right now, he's not, deal he's not listening to my compassion, so I have to be indifferent. And, and, and it's not a, it doesn't mean anything about me or m who I am or whatever. And so I think that's the important thing is how do you remain indifferent uh, as well? And there's a, a, a notion... Um, the pain only goes down so far in, in the fountainhead. Um, yeah. Right. And it's, uh, well, and, and there's another thing too. Thing. The other thing too, I look for are signs that someone's genuinely curious when they right. are, you know, because we got, we got a triage as well. There are people that are closed minded where if you spend all your time with them, eventually in a year, you might get them to open up to the point where they think you're not a bad person. But if you spend all your time doing that, you're going to miss out on all the people that are genuinely curious about your perspective and, and that sort of yeah. thing. And so I think there's a point where you have to triage and where that indifference just has to be. Okay. I'm, I'm moving on. I'm tagging you, tagging you, you know, as unsalvageable right now. And I'm moving yeah, on to people that can where i can make a difference yeah i think that makes a lot of sense and i think that i think we've successfully and robustly covered this topic tim what do you think you've persuaded me as such yes <laughs> all right thanks tim uh thanks everyone for listening and watching be sure to subscribe on youtube and stay tuned season four is going to launch soon and a subscribe star and all of that's fun stuff so be sure to uh do that when it's there Thank you.